Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. If you're anything like me, you want a successful, abundant business, epic energy, a growth mindset, vibrant health, and beautiful relationships. And this podcast sets out to help us achieve all of that together. I've been in the entrepreneurship arena for almost a decade now and have mentored hundreds of other business owners. So I know what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to succeed. This podcast shares the tips, tricks, learnings, and lessons I lean on in order to blend the different facets of my life as an entrepreneur, author, wife, and mama to two gorgeous little humans. Let's jump in to today's episode. This week on the podcast, for many, venturing out as a consultant will be their very first step in their entrepreneurial journey, but it can be a scary step to make. This week, I'm joined by Michelle Cavello to discuss how the transition from corporate to consultant can be made as seamlessly and successfully as possible. 10 years ago, she chose to step away from her senior corporate role to found Lantern Partners, a virtual CFO firm working with founder CEOs of startups and scale-ups. She was recently named as one of the top 50 women in accounting and top 50 small business leaders. She is passionate about using her voice and her stories to support women in the industry, as well as small businesses and individuals moving from corporate roles into their consulting dream. Last year, she launched her Corporate to Consultant program, a practical guide through the key building blocks in making a successful move. You can think of it as your 10-year head start. In our conversation, Michelle shares her own transition from corporate to consultant a decade ago, or self-ejection, as she described it, the 10 years since then, and her biggest fuck yeah moments and oh shit moments in that time, why she's so passionate about helping others to make this transition, what the greatest fears she sees in people wanting to move out of corporate, the most common mistakes she's seen others make in the transition, the simple and deadly problem with the standard, I just want to match my salary goal, how to deal with a negative response from a boss or colleague on leaving your role, how to find your perfect client starting out as a consultant, and a little bit about her corporate to consultant program. Let's bring on my conversation with Michelle Cavello. Hello, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Hi, very exciting. Excited to have you. And I, I was just laughing. You've got your red lipstick on and I, I don't feel like I'm in bold darling dress code right now. <laughs> Went for a pink lip today instead of red. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I felt there was a dress code. <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining. So I think that the topic that you and I are going to be talking about today is so relevant. I know whenever I share content, I remember there's a podcast episode that I did with a past mentee of mine who wanted to move out of corporate and she wanted to move into interior design because that had been her passion for 18 years. She's a beautiful mentee of mine called Alexis. And that was one of the podcast episodes that I think I've had the most response to, like that whole idea of sitting in corporate, it served someone for a certain period of their lives and now they're ready to step out. So I'm really, really excited to have you on because I feel like you're picking up the what do you call it? The baton from where Alexis <laughs> talked about like that idea of like, I want to move out and I'm getting ready to move out. Yeah. And you coming in as that expert who can actually step us through, okay, what are the steps to getting out mm. <laughs> of yeah. corporate? Yeah. So would you mind, my dear, just as we kick off, would you talk about, would you share a little bit about your background and what oh. you're doing now? And then I'd love to dive into what was your own personal transition of yeah. moving from corporate to consultant like? Yeah. So I worked in corporate for about 15 years, I think. Originally, I grew up in the UK and moved to Australia 20 years ago now. 
And is that maths right? No, I was worked in corporate for 10 years, sorry. And I started Lantern Partners just over 10 years ago now. So in 2011, did my own step out from corporate consultant. Lantern Partners is a virtual CFO advisory firm. And we work with founder CEOs in startup and scale up businesses. And we kind of help them grow, help them expand their business and also sometimes prepare them for sale. We are now a team of 10. We work with businesses nationally and internationally. Yeah, I'm really proud of the business that that I've grown. So, yeah. You should be. And I love that you haven't mentioned the fact that you've been top 50 woman in bloody everything, (laughs) I feel, over the last few months. So I feel like you're really... And you and I have worked together. So you're, of course, one of my, my, my annual mentees. And just to see you grow your profile and be not even grow your profile, but be truly recognized for the contribution that you do make in your space. It's been really incredible to see. So, yeah, you have a lot to be proud of. Well done. So can you step us through your own transition from corporate to consultant? Because, I mean, it sounds like you've you've made a huge amount happen over the last 10 years. Can you take us back to Michelle when she was sitting in corporate and wanted to I guess, strike out and do something different. Can you just step us through it? What was your thought process? And can I actually ask you a very specific question? How long was it between you deciding that you definitely wanted to leave corporate and you actually leaving corporate? And then maybe go from there. That's such a good question. And the honest answer is, I don't know exactly because it had been percolating for such a long time. Both my parents were self-employed. So I did have a, you know, some role modeling in the family that a corporate career wasn't all you kind of had to be or could be, there were other options. And I think for me, that really helped. And it'd been kind of at the back of my mind for a really long time. But the thing I found really difficult was because of the kind of finance that I did, I still do, it's not very easy to kind of box it up. I don't do bookkeeping. I don't do tax. I don't do, you know, financial statements. The kind of finance that I do is very advisory and business partnering. And typically, you only see those roles in bigger businesses. So I kind of couldn't quite figure out how what I did actually translated to working for myself. And I think that held me up for a really, really long time. We hear quite a lot about virtual CFOs now, particularly, obviously, if you're in the finance industry, but it wasn't really a thing back then. But I knew that corporate wasn't my kind of forever game. And so I knew that at some point I was going to be self-employed, just couldn't work out what that looked like. But the honest truth is I ended up getting so burnt out in corporate, partly because, you know, it was I worked within for media and technology businesses within corporate. Everything was very, very fast paced, you know, similar to I'm sure a lot of people identify with this under-resourced, trying to do more, more, more. And, you know, your to-do list was never done. And I'm a bit of a, you know, a bit of an overachiever, I guess, in terms of wanting to to tick everything off. And it's, you know, with most jobs, it's not possible to kind of get to the end of your to-do list. And I got completely burnt out. So I didn't kind of have this nice, very well thought through kind of plan before I left corporate. I basically fell in a bit of a puddle on the floor and had to pick myself up and, you know, really commit to what I was doing. So for me, it probably took longer than it should have done to leave corporate and also to build my consulting business because one, I I hadn't seen that many people do it. I didn't know what the steps were. I didn't know the how. 
And then I'd kind of ignored this feeling for such a long time in corporate that I finally self-ejected. So yeah, that's how it happened for me. So I'm hearing two things. One was that lack of clarity around, okay, I want to leave, but I don't know what I'm moving. And I don't know what I'm leaving to do yet. And probably the second thing, like you just were exhausted. Like it's very Mm. hard to get the energy together and do the massive amount of research that's required in order to set yourself up as a consultant. Like you just probably didn't have the energy to do that, which again would have slowed down the process somewhat as well. And I think I was also, you know, it wasn't the right environment for me. And not being in the right environment for you depletes your energy full stop, you know. So I think if I'd allowed myself to really explore it, I had the resource to explore it a little bit earlier, I would have had that energy and that impetus. And also if you maybe had had someone there to hold your hand through it as yeah. well. You didn't have to figure everything out yourself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So no, tell no us. Yeah. <laughs> so I love asking people about the fuck yeah moments and the oh shit moments of the last 10 yeah. years. So We've been on a pretty big journey over the last 10 years from that very tentative, okay, I'm leaving and now I'm going to try to figure it out. Like I've already left and now I'm going to try to figure this out. Hmm. What have been the three biggest fuck yeah moments of those real highlights of the last 10 years since you made that big decision? Ah, Okay. So I think, look, honestly, I think that the realization this year, and I've managed to kind of take a, a bit of a stop and smell the roses a couple of times this year, which has been really nice. And it's really the team that I've managed to build and the business that I've managed to build. I mean, we're 80% female within the firm. And the women that work for me as CFOs, one of the things that oh, I love is that they were also feeling the same thing within their, within their corporate careers. You know, it wasn't fitting them. They were really ambitious. They're really, really smart. But they didn't want to work 60-hour weeks. And it didn't fit with what they wanted their life to look like. I mean, we talk a lot about work-life balance, right? And they're just, it's very difficult to get that kind of balance within a traditional corporate finance career. And to be able to have created this environment where these really smart women can come and work and work to their full potential, I'm so proud of. I guess the second thing is what we do a lot of in the business is help founders to sell their business. And I would never get tired of, you know, that moment when the founder sells their business and you realize that it's life changing for them and their family. And that's incredible to feel like we've played a part in that. Yeah, I really love it. And I guess that, you know, it is quite nice to get awards. (laughs) It's not not a bad thing, can deal with it. It's not why we do it. But, you know, I talk to a lot of founder CEOs about, you know, it's quite lonely, particularly as a solo founder, even if you have an amazing team. And, you know, sometimes getting that external kind of validation of actually, no, you you did build a a good business, you are doing good work. That's been quite nice. (laughs) Yeah, it makes total sense. I was thinking as you were talking there about the parallels with building a business and parenting. You know, so much of people see the shiny baby at the family gatherings or a walk in the pram, but they don't see the 2am teething and all the kind of the messy bits. So I think there's something really lovely about the validation of awards because so much of the work of building a business is the unsung hero work it's that day-to-day showing up dealing with fighting the fires and fighting the good fight for the business so I think there's something really lovely about someone external looking at it and going yeah good on you well done I think we should have awards for parenting as well that'd be good (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about the oh shit bits what have been the three biggest challenges you've had to overcome oh there's been a few of those I think you know the biggest challenge I think for me it's just been getting out of my own head 
a lot of the time. And for many years, probably for, you know, half to two thirds of the time the business has existed, it was just me. And so, you know, it can be quite an insular thing. And so forcing myself to kind of get out and speak to other business owners, speak to businesses, get those support networks in place has helped that. But yeah, just getting out of my own head sometimes. That I think is... It's a mindset game as much as anything, isn't it? Completely. Yeah. I remember I'm Isaac, CEO of Business Chick, saying that to me years ago. She said, no, you know, Lorraine, I've realized that business is 90% mindset. Like you get your mindset good, everything else is easy. (laughs) So true. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it also, it can be a bit of a slog. I've never for once really regretted making the move, but it doesn't mean there haven't been bits where you really feel like you're kind of walking through, you know, mud or quicksand and you've just got to keep going. So yeah, those are the tough moments. And then you've always got moments with your know, sales pipeline and, you know, where's your next client coming from when you start to kind of doubt yourself. And that's still a challenge for me, even, you know, over 10 years on, right? You kind of have those moments of you, you're like, oh, where will these clients come from? And you know, you're doing the work, you know, that you can't draw a straight line between the work and, you know, when you engage the client, but you kind of just, you've got to get out of that mindset, mind cycle mindset. So, yeah, I think you and I, I was sharing on my socials or emails that I had a massive attack of imposter syndrome back oh. a couple of months ago. And I remember you, you and I talking, you said, oh, I'm so glad you said that because I've been the same, like it doesn't go away. And I was just mentoring this morning and it's that whole idea of, as I was talking to my mentee about that, the fear doesn't go away. It's just about learning Liz Gilbert, the author of, she talks about this in, in Big Magic, her book around the idea that she's learning to dance with it and having the yeah. strategies to deal with it. And what I was saying as well to my mentee this morning is that loop between the, the slump of the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, that loop gets narrower and narrower over the years. Like it used to floor me for months, even years on end, whereas now it's more of like a week long thing or a two day thing or it gets narrower. Yeah, so what do you narrow, and also, yeah and also so I was going to say it's using it to fuel you to do the next thing and to keep on going and trying to te- treat it as fuel rather than something that that depletes you and kind of sinks you. So yeah, I think that's, that's exactly a really good way of thinking about it. Yeah, so true. So why are you so passionate about helping other people <laughs> do the transition <laughs> that you've done? What's the yeah, feel for that? I think it's, you know over the last ten years I've had a lot of people come to to say look how do you do it you know I want to do what you've done I don't know how but I think what it comes down to for me and this is true in kind of the core lantern partners business as well as what I'm doing now I really hate seeing people feel stuck and feeling like they don't have options or not knowing where to go or how to do it you know and that's been with me you know since since childhood I don't know whether I've told you the story but my mum's also an accountant and in finance and as kids she made it absolutely key that we learned about finance and we weren't mystified by finance because she saw so many of her peers stuck in relationships because they didn't understand their finances or didn't see their finances, or or didn't earn their own money, you know, all of that, those kind of things. And she just saw them stuck, and she never wanted us to be stuck. And I think I've got that same DNA kind of going through my life and businesses since then. It's just, I really hate people feeling stuck. And so if I can do something to help them get unstuck, then that's where I play. 
Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about that because I wonder how much of you designing, and I know we'll talk about your corporate to consultant program shortly, how much of you designing this is it's because something you would have really needed back then, yeah. 10 years ago. And I know for me, everything I've designed with Bold Darling is what I would have wanted mm-hmm. when I started my first business yeah. 10 years ago. So I think there's this lovely, I guess this full circle moment where we go through really challenging periods, like for you, for example, deciding to strike out and trying to figure it all out from scratch, this move into consultancy. For me, it was starting my first business and then being able to say, okay, if I got my time again, this is what I would want. And then getting to go create that for others. That's really, really special. Such a gift and a privilege to be able to do that. But also that we've made it through the challenges, you know, that we've got content. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) Because you don't get to create something like you've created a corporate consultant if you haven't really been through through the mill. Your battle scars. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. So can we talk a bit about the fears? Because I think so much if I'm talking to... I mean, I know even recently there's a mom at, at Lexia Daughter School and she was in a, a she's in an illegal career. She was a lawyer and mm-hmm. she was really unhappy and she'd handed in her notice. She knew she was leaving and she was just lost. I mean, this is just a conversation, me pushing Wilder in the yeah, pram yeah. and Lexi running along and, and her kids walking along and just chatting for 10 minutes on the walk home from school. And she was so afraid. And I think once you've been through the transition of starting your own business or striking out on your own or whatever it might be, it's very hard to kind of go back there and remember that visceral, this could ruin my life. You know, it's such Mm -hmm. a big deal. What do you think the greatest fears are from people who are maybe someone's listening right now and they're sitting in their corporate career? What do you think maybe the three to five top fears are from people? Like, why are they still sitting behind that desk in corporate where they know, like like you talked about, that you knew it wasn't your forever game? But but you hadn't made the move yet. What do you think yeah. they are from the work that you've done with people like this I in that think, situation? I think that a lot of it is around not having practical examples that are close to you of people who have done this before. So there's this whole thing of you can't be what you can't see. And I think they, you know, yes, obviously we've got LinkedIn, we've got social media, we've got all of that thing where but you almost kind of think these businesses popped out fully formed. And, so, you know, you didn't see the kind of the bit when they were flying under the radar. Just You didn't see chapter out. one. I love how Daniel, Daniel Flynn, the founder of Thank You, with along with his wife, Justine, he called his, his book chapter one because that's his whole you know, it's chapter one. But no one ever gets to see the chapter one because they just mm-hmm. see chapter 20 where everything's amazing and yeah. the awards yeah. have come in and the revenue and the clients and the work-life balance and all of the yeah. things. Yeah. And it's OK. I, I kind of know I want to be over there. But how? Like, what's my first step? What's my second step? What's my, what, what should I not be doing? It's that fear of the unknown and not having the practical examples of people that have done it before. And I also think, you know, fear of failure is a big one, you know, because if you step out and you make a statement to say, I am leaving my corporate career, I am going to start my own business, I am going to be a consultant. I think for a lot of people, and it goes back to the imposter syndrome, it's the who am I to that statement, you know, oh, God, what if I say I'm going to do this and then it just fails? You know, who do I think I am to be able to yeah, go do this? Particularly, can I just add to that, Michelle, that I mean, I would imagine that if someone's listening to this podcast, chances are they're a pretty high performer if they're working in corporate. And of course, if they've got businesses, but mm. they're probably a high performer. So what I've heard happen a lot is that someone wants to leave and talks to a colleague about it or maybe their boss And it's actually, I've heard so many stories of someone walking in to hand in their notice to their boss and their boss says the most 
crappy, deflating things like, who? how do you think you're going to do this? And I think so much of that would be coming from their own sense of inadequacy that they know that they will never do it. So I think it doesn't help when you've got that seed of self-doubt, like we all do, like every single one has had that. But then you've got someone external who, if it's a boss, it's someone that you've respected and trusted probably planting almost like exacerbating and validating that sense of lack of self-worth does that make sense I'm sure you've heard stories like that as well and one of the things I quite often say to mentees is just be really careful who you're asking advice from and one of the founders that we work with has this really great phrase that I repeat constantly which is don't ask the advice of someone who hasn't been where you want to go there is no point asking someone who's been in a corporate career all their life you know, that is where they should be. That is, you know, their goal, their aim, their happy place. Don't ask them about leaving and becoming a consultant because either, you know, they've never wanted to, they don't understand it. And so they're going to be a little bit negative or conversely, they really want to go and do it. And they're kind of jealous as hell of the fact that you've been brave enough to try and yes. you get that negativity as well. Like they are not the people you should be listening to. Yeah, I love um, that advice. And so, you know, I think one of the really important things is seeking out those communities of people that have done it before. And those are the people you should be talking to. And it doesn't mean that only listen to the good stuff. You know, those people that have walked the path before will tell you all of the, you know, the bad stuff and the stuff to look out for. But their advice is the valuable one. So, yeah, I think that is something that is really, really important when, when you're contemplating stepping out, because it can be so easy to get deflated distracted you know and just give up before you've even started yeah I love that so I think yeah that's if I was to hazard a guess of the fears I think you've absolutely nailed it with that mm-hmm. staying with the kind of I guess the inverted commas negative side of things for a moment mm-hmm. what do you see the biggest mistakes that people make are including maybe the ones that you have made yourself over the last 10 years and I'm talking um, really about those that that first kind of six to 24 months like that first yeah. year or two where you're just starting because that's the thing isn't it and, and can we also no, I'll take you there in a second. Yeah, answer oh, yeah. my question okay, first. Okay. I have somewhere else so, I want to go with you. So I think that one of the big ones is, and this comes from fear as well, I think, is that when you first go out and think, well, you know, what can I do? Who can I serve? Is casting your net too wide? And I think there's a fear. Trying to be all things to all people and then you're nothing to anyone. No, you just end up at this very e kind of, you're not specialist enough. And I get the fear because you know, you think, well, if I niche down too far, then I'm not going to attract all of the these other potential people who could get value from my services. And that's sort of true. But if you kind of try and talk to everyone, you're talking to no one. And so I think there's real value in really, really owning your niche and identifying who your ideal client is. And from that, honing exactly what you offer and why it's got value. And I think that's that that's a really common mistake. I think the other one is not being prepared to wear all the hats. Because when you start your own business, and I don't care what discipline you're in, you finance, HR, legal, design, you know, web dev, whatever it is, you're really good at your thing. And that's what you've made your career of. But as a you know, finance professional, I also have to have a little bit of marketing, a little bit of sales, a little bit of design, a little bit, all those other things. Um, I actually really enjoy wearing all of those other hats. And I think that's part of the reason why it's worked. 
But I think that just having an awareness and appreciation of the fact that you will have to do all of these other things a little bit. I will never be a specialist salesperson, a specialist marketer, anything like that. But I have to not shy away from it because at the end of the day, this is my business and I have to know how to sell. I have to know, if not the direct marketing activities, I have to know how I want to market my business. I have to be over the detail of my contracts, you know, all of those little things. And it doesn't mean you're ever going to love it. You know, I know know a lot of non-finance professionals that are like, oh my God, kill me now. I never want to see zero again. But you're going to have to get a little bit comfortable with it because it's just part of your job now as a business owner. It's almost like if you see a business, almost like an assembly line, like there's the marketing and then there's the sales and then there's the operations and then there's the finance and the admin. I think if you're in corporate, particularly if you're in a, a much larger organization, you've got the luxury of there's entire departments dedicated to different parts of the assembly line. Whereas if you're becoming a consultant, at least in those early days, you're going to need to have almost like a helicopter view of all of those parts yeah. of the assembly line. You don't just kick into action when it comes to your desk. It's you're always on. And I think to your point as well, Michelle, is that it's not that you have to wear them all the time and it's not that you'll have to wear them forever. In time, all things, if this is your plan, you'll have team members who can pick up more of the responsibility for those things. But yeah, the fundamental fact is that when you own a business, the book stops with you for every department, even if you've got team members in there running it for you. Yeah. And that's not a negative thing, right? Because I think that should be a really positive thing. You get to play in all these different areas as well as your own area of speciality. And I think that's one of the really great things about being self-employed and running your own business. I'd encourage people not to feel scared of that because that can be the really fun stuff and the way you you add variety to your career. So, And you never know, one of those hats you might actually love wearing that you never, never got to wear before. <laughs> can I also ask you, there's one particular mistake that I know you and I have talked about, and I've seen a lot of people do it as well in my community, where they say, okay, well, I used to get paid. I'm just going to pick a figure of 100K a year right. in my corporate role. So therefore, all I need to do is I need to get my business to make 100K this next year. And then that's it. I've hit my targets or I've matched my income. Can you just unpack that a bit? Because I know it's something that drives you crazy. Yeah, it does. And it's not so much the the headline figure of the 100K a year. It's more how you get to that. And so for a lot of consultants, how you're going to set your price is essentially around what your hourly rate is. And whether you sell packages for fixed price or whether you actually kind of work at an hourly rate, what you need to actually work out what value your time is and how you want to, what price your hour is, what your time is. And what I see quite often is that people will look at their, you know, their last pay slip from work and there's an hourly rate on that and go, okay, cool. So that's my hourly rate. That's what I charge myself out at. If I charge myself out at this, then I'll make my salary. But the problem is in corporate, you're getting paid for being on holiday. You're getting paid for that, you know, the meeting time, which isn't, you know, which is sort of administrative meeting time. You are getting paid for, you know, when you're sick, public holidays, all of those kind of things. Off sites, team building days, exactly. all of those things. Exactly. Yeah. And long and- lunches. <laughs> Yeah, long lunches. I'd love to get paid for long lunches. And when you're going into consulting, you're going to need to also spend time on building your business, going out and meeting potential clients, doing proposals, all of these unbillable tasks. And so what actually happens if you only use your hourly rate for your payslip, 
you could be giving yourself a pay cut of almost a third. And that's wildly painful. And it's if you because if you think about you've got, you know, five days a week, 52 hours, 52 weeks a year, you know, eight, eight hours a day or close to right, that's kind of 260 days. But once you take out, you know, you should allocate for yourself annual leave time, because you do need to take annual leave. You know, there are public holidays, there's time you're going to need to spend doing business development, time you're going to need to spend on admin. You quite quickly, depending on how much you allocate to those unbillable time, you quite quickly get down to 180 days. So that's like, that's a third, very close to a third. And so you've just inadvertently given yourself a pay cut of a third. And so no wonder when you first start out, you feel poorer than you did in corporate. And why? So um, I, it's really important to make sure you get your price right. And also, you know, do your budget before you leave, because there's two ways of leaving, right? Either you can do it as a side hustle for a while and build up your client pipeline before you actually leave. But that assumes you have some sort of capacity within your working week currently in your corporate job. If you do, great. That's a really sensible way of doing it. For a lot of people I talk to, their working week is nuts. And so, you know, if you're working, you know, 50, 60 hours, there is no way you've got, even if you can carve out a little bit of time, have that mental capacity and energy to actually think creatively about your business and clients and things like that. So you do need to build into your budget the fact that you may not have that billable pipeline from day one. I kind of joke that when I left corporate, I made this budget. It was literally called what's the worst that could happen. Because that's how I thought about it, right? So I'd so worked, good. I'd worked out like what our monthly outgoings were, what our savings were, and you know how long I could last before I had to give up and get a, another job, right? Because that was that was, and if you think about it, that's the worst that's going to happen. You're just going to have to go and get a job again. And so I'd worked out how long that was going to take, and you kind of need to do the same because that. Everybody has financial realities. Let's not pretend that we don't all have bills to pay. We need to keep a roof over our head. We need to, you know, do the grocery shopping. We need to keep kids alive in some circumstances. And so, you know, it's important that you prepare for that properly. Yeah, I love that. And I think the other factor as well, and I think this is a bit of a short, sharp shock for people when they're going into a consultancy career and thinking, well, I don't have any overheads. Like I don't have team members. I don't have to pay office space. Like my overheads are really low. But the thing is, there's almost like overhead creep. And I know I talk about death by subscription a lot of my community. Like when I get to the subscriptions line of my zero P&L every month, I'm like, what the fuck? How am I spending $1,500 for stuff? Because you sign up for all these little things. Like just yesterday, my team signed up for this new app, which is called AdEvent. And it gives you the functionality where in an email like confirmation, you can just say add calendar and it, you click yeah. it and then it goes into your calendar. But that's $24 a month. So immediately last night on our team message, I was like, yeah, cool, that's fine. But then when you add that up, mm-hmm. like, that's $250, $250 a year, you know? Yeah. So I think it's a bit of a false security going, oh, my overheads are going to be really low because I don't have an office and I don't have to commute and all the things because there's subscriptions, just basic subscriptions you're going to need to pay. For example, like your accounting software, like I use Zero and there's QuickBooks and FreshBooks or something, there's other mm-hmm. ones as well. Just things like you're going to have to have some kind of an accountant, like you're going to have to pay an accountant their fees. Mm-hmm. You're going to have, I mean, and this is beyond your le- your setups, like your initial legal setups yeah. and paying to register the business and all that kind of thing. Your super, you know, the things that you're going to have to pay that you did 
didn't have to pay for before. So I think the kind of headline of what we're talking about is to build in buffer for yourself, as you say, for that third that you're immediately going to be losing out for all the non-billable things that you get paid for in your corporate career. But then also paying for even if it feels like your overheads are going to be really low, there's still monthly expenses that they're unavoidable. Like you're just going to have to pay them unless you're going to go back to like a a paper hard book ledger for your bookkeeping, which doesn't really fly right now. So, So, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And I know it's something that you talk about as well a lot when you're coaching people on this topic is to. How stepping them through the process, how do they calculate mm. what their hourly rate should be? Yeah. I've got a couple of questions for you around, uh, and this is something I've just been thinking as we're talking. Like it's a two-part question. First of all, what's the difference between a consultant and a company? So I left my role, my employment role, as I was working in a comm strategy agency. I left it to start my business. So I yeah. said I was starting a business. I registered a PTY Limited, and that went on to be the Remarkables Group, and the story went from there. So that's part one of the questions. What's the difference between starting a consultancy and starting a business? Like, how do you differentiate the two? And my second question then as well is, when do we know that it's time to move on from being a consultant? Because I wouldn't describe you as a consultant anymore. Mm. I feel like you've now built a business, almost like an agency model that you have built. So yeah, two-part question for you, please. So with the first one, I guess there's two answers or two sides to that. There's the technical, what is the difference between a sole trader and a company? And you can be a solo consultant in a company, but it's, it is really important to understand the difference between being a sole trader and being a company. And again, this is one of the things that I talked through on the course. And, you know, just at a very high level, if you're a sole trader, you know, there is no separate business. You and the business are one and the same thing as far as, you know, the law is concerned, as far as, you know, the ATO is concerned. And so, it's very flexible, but it, it, there are some considerations there. And that then you, if you set up as a company, as a PTY limited, you may set up as a partnership, but let's just assume you're setting up as a company. You have extra obligations from an ASIC perspective, but it's also separate to you as a person. And that's from an ATO perspective, how you're taxed. And that has some advantages for some people kind of setting it up like that, but there are extra costs. Okay, so that's, I guess, the technical difference. But, you know, aside from the structure perspective, if you are setting yourself up as a self-employed consultant, in my view, you you have to think about yourself as a business. And I think that that's the mentality shift that's quite important um, because then I think you start naturally thinking about things like, what are my business's overheads? How much should my business be charging? And going back to the pricing thing, I think it's almost good in a way to separate your business for you from you as a person, because then I think you almost, I think if you're setting prices for yourself as a person, you can kind of go into that, oh, it feels like a bit much for me, just me. Whereas you think to yourself like, no, I'm a business. I'm a consultant. I'm running a business. You think about it slightly differently. And that's the way you should think about it. And, you know, the other way of thinking about it, I guess you can be a solo consultant running a consulting business, which my business was for quite a few years. But then I think as you start to build a team around you, as you start to not being the being the sole billable resource within your business, that's when I think, I guess, a broader sense, you think about yourself as a business as opposed to a consultant. But to be honest, I'd encourage people not to get too caught up in that. You know, you're not 
not a business if it's just you consulting. You, you're a business. You're a valid business. And I think that you should be really proud of that if you strike out on your own. And I do hear I do hear people saying, and I was probably guilty of it myself initially, like, oh, I'm just a consultant. Oh, I'm just doing this. It just almost invites that just before it. So I think... You just, know, or I find, and particularly women do this as well, I've got a little business. Like, it's yeah. a little thing. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. love the idea of regardless of whether or not you're setting up as a sole trader or a PTO limited, still seeing it either way, you're still a business. And yeah. thinking about, I think if you run it as a business and you almost like set compartmentalize, like this is me, Lorraine, as an individual and my business is this separate entity, which they are. And you'll yeah. have experienced this, Michelle, as well, that once your business starts to really, I call it catching fire in a good way, like it starts mm. to be known, they really do take out <laughs> an energy. <laughs> they just burn down. <laughs> they burn down with excitement, but they really, they start to generate an energy all of its, of their own. And I know and work and I've gotten to mentor a brilliant psychic called Helen Jacobs. And she talks a lot in her work about the idea that businesses have a soul. Like we, we mm. birth these businesses, just like we might birth a child of our mothers and they have a soul. So I think from day one, creating that separation is really, really good. Mm. And you run it more like a business. It's not a yeah. hobby where it's <laughs> sometimes I have to 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 remind my community that they're not registered charities. You know, they no. should be charging for their work. And that, and that drives me crazy as well. It is just that, you know, diminishing of yourself. And if you don't do that, don't do that. Don't do it. And if men don't do that. I just need to call that out. Men do not do mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. You talked earlier on about one of the biggest mistakes that people make is trying to be all things to all people, like trying to have like a multifaceted appeal so that there's every single person that they could serve who might walk through their virtual business doors or real business doors if it's a Mm. kind of bricks and mortar business. Mm. I know something that you talk about in your corporate consultant program a lot is how to find your perfect client. Mm. So I don't want you to kind of give away the whole, what do you say? Give away the whole store. But what are your kind of headlines on that? Like, how do we give away the farm? That's it. Thank you. (laughs) How do we to even get started on that process of get really honing who our perfect client is. Because when we are starting out on this journey, like we were talking about setting up as a consultant, we are only one person. And it's impossible for one person to take the place of a 20, 10, 30, 50 strong sales team. What tips, just headline tips, do you have on helping someone articulate, okay, who is the perfect client that I'm here to serve? I think that, and I will say it's an iterative process. I think it does shape as you get out in the world and you start talking about it. One of the things that I do tell people to do as they're as they're shaping their ideal client and ideal offering is talk about it because you will see from the reaction you get when you talk about it whether you're hitting the mark or not. And it, you would just be tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. But I think that the biggest thing that I would say when identifying your ideal client and I think the mistake a lot of people do is focus on what they can do I'm really good at this I'm really good you know I'm really good at you know doing business models or doing forecasts as a client I don't care I don't care about this thing that you're really good at I'm obsessed with my own problem all I want to know is how you're going to help me solve my problem so I think focusing on what problem you're solving rather than focusing on what your service is and of course you'll have to go back and forth with that right but I think it's really important to focus on that piece and that's how you start almost seeing your ideal client avatar because you start to think of it or think of them you know as a real person a real business with a real problem that you can solve and I think that probably the top tip in terms of 
you know, defining that ideal client. There's a whole kind of schema we go through in terms of how you do that. But I think that's probably the two biggest tips is one, focus on their problem, not what you can do. And then two, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Absolutely love that. And I love the idea that, and I think we're constantly finessing who that perfect client is. I feel like I got clear of mine, for example, in my business two, three years ago, and it's only in the last kind of 12 months that I've been so crystal clear on who that is. And I think the other thing as well, by focusing on the problems, which might seem like a really negative thing to do, but it's common knowledge, the best businesses solve problems. Mm-hmm. So it'll constantly keep bringing you back to, okay, yeah, you're here to build this business and create this amazing life that you want to create for yourself. And whatever the different reasons are to motivate you to leave corporate and start a consultancy business. But it's more about you're going to get closer to the mark earlier by constantly focusing on what the problems are that you're trying to help someone overcome. Mm. And then the other layer of that then as well is that will come through in your marketing. It'll come through in your sales conversation when you're really clear on what are those pain points. Mm. I used to tell my team, like we're talking about it in a sales situation. I always talk about the problems, like a problem Mm. that you're having right now. Because we really want to dial that up for the potential client like to mm. understand, okay, yeah, this is actually a problem. Yeah. Whereas when I was talking more internally with my team, we wouldn't talk about the problems we were having, but the challenges that we can overcome. So yeah. kind of comes into a bit of a <laughs> linguistics thing as well. So we've kind of touched on it a little bit as we've been talking. You've got a program called Corporate to Consultants, yeah. which really brings together everything. And thank you for being so generous in this conversation. It really does bring together everything that you have been sharing so generously in this, in this chat. Can you just step us through what does the program involve? Like I know this is the kind of a sequence that you bring people through to do it. Yeah, sure. So basically there's there's seven steps in this program. And I talk about it in terms of, you know, this is your success formula. If you want to do this, this is how you do it. Because it's really pulled from all of those kind of 10 years of knowledge, experience, battle scars, stuff ups. And so we walk through the seven steps, which are first steps. So defining what you actually want to do, why you want to do it, and very much that what are you going to do rather than what are you trying to get away from and just reframing that. There's then the second steps around the technical aspects. So finance, legal, IP, so intellectual property, and those kind of specific technical points that you want to get right. Then we've got a section on clients you know, who, and this is the one where we talk about who's your ideal client, how do you work it out, where do you go find them? And we also talk about the pricing in that as well. We talk about tools, processes, and, you know, eventually going on to build a team, if that's where you want to take the business. The mental support and mindset is a big one. And you were lovely enough to join me for a section of this as well, kind of talking about how important support and community is. And exactly what the building blocks are of those communities you need to build and the two specific communities and support networks that you need going out on your own. We then talk about the key pitfalls to avoid and there's my top five key pitfalls. And then finally, the action plan. Like once you've been through the first six steps, what I really want is to not just go away feeling like, yeah, yeah, I could do this. This is all feeling a bit clearer to me. It's actually getting those action points down. What are you going to do today? What are you going to do next week? And kind of stepping through those gates of either up until the point where you leave your corporate career and then after you leave your corporate career. So I just really solidify those points. And then we've got, so we've got those 
seven um, key steps as part of the program. But then I also offer a leveling up, I guess, of actually spending some time with me to actually kind of coach you through on a one on one basis through the action points and to help you through those sticky bits. If you're getting stuck on, you know, your why and what your values are and where you're trying to get to and should I do this or should I do that? Just helping on a very personal level, that aspect of it. So important. And I think there's a couple of points that I just want to touch on that you shared there. I think, first of all, being really intentional about why you are doing this and where you're trying to get to. I think you want this, if you are making this move from corporate to consultants, it's a pretty significant move. And you want it to be more than a life raft to get away from where you're at now. (laughs) You want it to be, instead of a life raft, to get away from the sinking ship that maybe you feel like I'm just so unhappy in this situation. You want it to be a bridge forward to a much more positive, empowering, balanced, whatever word floats your boat. You want it to be a bridge forward to something much more positive, an island that's much more positive almost. And and I think the other thing to say about this program and, and everything that you're talking about today is... This could be the difference between leaving your corporate job and doing it for a year or two and then kind of it's lonely or it's just harder than you thought or you didn't budget it properly. And then your partner's kind of going, what the fuck? Why did you do this to us? <laughs> Go back and get a job. Yeah. You know, this could be the difference between a 10-year consultancy business like you have and someone who does it for six to 12 months and it just gets too hard and... And that's a big knock to your confidence, like having to go backwards, you know, how you could potentially interpret if you're in that situation. Like that's a big knock to your confidence. So, so yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful what you're sharing. So just so everyone's clear, my dear, people can do this anytime. It's not like there's an intake. They can just go and grab it today. So so I've, I've specifically made it not around intakes because I think everybody's ready at their own time. Yeah, it's Um, not like everyone's going to move from being corporate to consultant on the 1st of March (laughs) next year. Yeah, (laughs) That would be handy for you, but it's not the case. It'd be handy. (laughs) But, you know, it's a process for most people. And I think that there's probably two cohorts of people that that the course is right for. Yeah, please tell me that. That would be great. Yeah, either you are still in corporate and you're thinking about how, you know, exploring it, trying to figure out whether it's right for you. And, you know, really what you're the kind of person that really wants to have it all very, very planned out before you make the move. There's also the cohort that may be a bit more like me who kind of just went, that's that's it, I'm out. (laughs) And so I've started and either just really want to make sure that they set themselves up in the best possible way to succeed or may have kind of jumped out and gone, oh, shit, <laughs> I jumped and I'm really not sure what I'm doing and I need a life raft. And that's really helpful, I think, at that point as well. So that's yeah. probably the two cohorts. Amazing. Thank you so much. And you've got a special dealio for us. So if people oh, use yeah. the code bold darling as the code, yes. Bold darling. Yeah, then they'll get 20% off. So they get a, yeah. Yeah, a good chunk off the price, which is $497 is the investment for it. Yeah, that's right. So you're getting good saving there. So thank you for right. sharing that. That's amazing. Oh. We have had a very big conversation. I feel like we've touched a lot of different bases. We could probably, I actually see you doing this like as a one day event at some stage, yeah. like talking <laughs> through this. I think yeah. so much powerful content in it is there anything you feel like we've missed any kind of burning topics or fears or challenges that or tips that you want to pass on before we wrap up I think one of the really important things for me and the the thing that kills me when I see people put their first kind of steps out toes out is you know this don't just don't give up too soon 
it is a process. It is a journey. There are things that you can do both from building your community, you know, the support around the how-to and the guidebook. But it, you know, it. I hate people giving up too early. And so this will be so rewarding. Honestly, I've, I really have never regretted making the move, despite, you know, despite the bumps in the road. And, you know, if I could say one thing to people that have started to do it and, and are wavering, you know, find your life and don't give up. I love that. And also, I think going into anything that we don't know, we don't know what we don't know. I mean, whether you talk about parenting or starting a business or starting a consultancy or doing a marathon, like you just, just, and for me, as we're recording this, I've just started strength training and I don't know what I don't know. Like I had no idea there were so many different ways to lift heavy things. (laughs) (laughs) We just don't know what we don't know. So I think to your point, Michelle, just finding the laugh, perhaps whatever your gaps are, whatever support you need, just build it in and almost overcompensate if that makes sense. Like bring in more support than you think you'll need because chances are you'll need it at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And just in in closing, I actually had a hypnosis session yesterday Mm -hmm. and my hypnotherapist, Rachel, her name is Rachel Crether. She was, she introduced me to the idea of being and knowing what an expander is. So what she means by that, it's the people who you see doing what you want to do and they expand your idea of what's possible. And I know for you, you've got lots of expanders that you love too. And and I really do see you as an expander specifically, I mean, in lots of different ways, but especially in this space, I feel like it's a real calling of yours to help people make that transition that, that you made. And you didn't have the models, like you couldn't really see those around you. And I just love that, again, just going back to that full circle idea. I think it's yeah. really beautiful that you are now that, like you are acting as an expander and expanding what others' realities could be, their belief of what their reality could be through the work that you're doing. So thank you again for being so generous. And if people want to go check you out, where should they be going? They should be going to michellecavello.com or to go to my Instagram, which is also Michelle Cavello, and you'll see a link in the bio to get through to the course. Gold. Perfect. Thank you. And I'll, of course, pop links in the show notes to all of the things as well. Lovely. And the, the code as well. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank You're you. amazing. Thank you. Great question. Bye. Thank you so much, Michelle, for sharing all your wisdom on the show this week. You can find out more about Michelle on her website, Michelle Cavello, that's K-V-E-L-L-O.com. And you can connect with her on Instagram at Michelle Cavello. You will also find out more information about her corporate to consultant program on her website. And she is very generously offering podcast listeners a 25% discount on the program. Just use the code BOLDDARLING at checkout. That's all capitals. And I'll pop all those links and the code in the show notes as well. And if you want to find out more about her business, Lantern Partners, visit the website at lanternpartners.com.au. Thank you so much for joining this week's episode. I look forward to being back with you again next week. Please do remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't ever have to miss an episode. I am always keen to hear your thoughts, questions, and requests for future topics on what I share here on the show. So please do reach out via my website, lorrainemurphy.com.au or connect with me on Instagram at Lorraine Murphy Mentor. I would also love if you could rate and review the podcast as it helps even more brilliant listeners like you find the show. Thank you so much again for listening this week. Music